Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That is Jan Schiphol. And that is Mr. Steve Jones. And this is episode 109, Jens. Can you believe that? I feel like we just did episode 100 I know. last week. It felt like it was just yesterday. It was April, so it was a couple months ago, but a rainy April day that we filmed episode 100. Yeah, I don't even remember the rain. That seems like... How do you not remember the rain? Ago. The whole thing centered around the, <laughs> the, the rain. We had to yeah, yeah. relocate well, for the band to, yeah. to be able to perform on stage. Ex- exactly, right. We had that little tent, right? Yeah. Um, we had that little tent that uh, the idea was for them to perform under the tent with the beautiful um, vineyards in the background and all that stuff, but alas... People don't like getting wet. And, and <laughs> people don't like getting wet, and people don't like their instruments getting wet. And, uh, yeah, I guess we've got some pushback on that. Yeah, we we made it work. We did it on the porch, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun performance, a fun episode. But we uh, have another uh, exciting episode. Um, I talked last week about um, the interviews that we're uh, bringing. These are some phone interviews, and uh, that that I was very fortunate to be able to uh, do last week with. Uh, really incredible artists that are um, influential in the blues community and beyond and have been around for a long time and um, and just really got to hear stories from uh, their upbringing in music and how they got into it and uh, and this episode is no exception to that that's um, we have an artist named Lance Lopez on the, the program that we're going to talk to in just a little bit so we'll get we'll get back into that but first Jens Yesterday was your birthday. It was. Day, 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 day. Yesterday was my birthday. Day, you were day, having day, day, a good day, day, time. Day. <laughs> I was having a good time. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was one of those middle of the week birthdays. Um, God, those fucking middle of the week birthdays. What are you going to do with this? Wednesday hump day birthdays. I know. What are you going to do with that? So uh, I had a great time. Um, Spent most of the day just kind of zooming around on my motorcycle, which I haven't been on in quite a while. Um, and it's been scorching hot, as you know. Um, so the last thing you want to do is kind of, you know, put on a bunch of leather and, you know, sit in traffic uh, in the heat. But one of the nice things about yesterday is that it was it was breezy. It wasn't quite as hot. And it ended up being just a, a wonderful day to be kind of, you know, outside doing the back roads. So, yeah. So I spent... Uh, my day kind of relaxing um and then uh we met up uh for just a little birthday celebration at a new brewery here in san rafael and um you were kind enough to join us and on top of that bring the most delicious cupcakes in the world ever yes in the whole entire <laughs> galaxy right uh and i brought some birthday candles and uh i made everybody uh, well you you did the honors of cutting now, every cupcake into quarters right now you you say you brought birthday candles but you underestimate the power of these candles these are world traveling candles they have yes i think most people are probably very envious of these candles because they've traveled um across the world and back you know for next to nothing and most people would be like, those candles went to Europe for, you know, nothing. And I have to pay like $2,000 for airfare and those candles went for free. <laughs> I know many people who've had that bitch. <laughs> yes. So uh, world-class candles on your very yummy cupcakes. Yes. Did you make a wish, Jens? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> 
you know, I didn't even think about it. Uh, Usually I always make a wish. Yeah. I was just so preoccupied with the candles not falling over you on were, these tiny little quarter-sized cupcakes. You were very persistent on those candles. I was very, yeah, it was, it was very important for me that uh, everybody who had a quarter of a cupcake had a candle in it and that it was lit and we would all blow our candles out together. But it was challenging because there wasn't a whole lot of cupcake for that little candle, so they kept on kind of, you know, tipping over on everyone's plate. But uh, yes. we made it happen. Yes, and, and these, this is not an advertisement, but Sift makes great, great cupcakes. Uh, if you wanted to have the, you know, inc an incredible, incredible cupcake, you go to Sift. It's not an advertisement, but no. if you want, what's their phone number and address? Uh, well, you can find them at the. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, did you have a? You you tried a couple. You only tried a couple. I think you have more to try today. But I do. I I took all the leftovers with. Um, and they are in the refrigerator, and I can't wait to continue the celebration this week and devour all of them. I had um, the chocolate and the velvet okay. cupcake. Was there a favor, uh, favorite of the two? No, they were both um, fabulous, and I, I, I don't think I could live without either one of them. I, it's a regular part of my diet now. That'd, that'd be great. You you might want to put your watch back on and start filling, <laughs> filling some loops. Yes, my watch, my wonderful watch, which I um, uh, <laughs> which does an awesome job, you know, tracking my activity when I am traveling. When it's worn. But, yeah, when it's worn, but I don't seem to wear it much when uh, I don't, you know, kind of travel. So, but anyway. Um, yes, I, I I hear what you're saying there. Uh, <laughs> you're catching my drift. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the gym for me. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, get to work. Yeah, I've been thinking about those cupcakes all morning. Speaking of traveling, and we were, uh, you you've promised us a three-part series of stories from your uh, international travels, of which the candles uh, were with you on on this trip. Were a part of. Yeah, pa the, those candles were with me in the suitcase the entire time at the very bottom. Part one. Um, part one last week. For those that uh, didn't tune into last week's episode, part one involved grease and toilet seats with no lids. So yes, yeah, toilets with no toilet seats. Yes. Yeah, um, toilets with no lids. Toilets with no toilet seats. Uh, you know, in some cases, they I think they might have had lids on them at one point or not. But point is, um, uh, public toilets in Greece seem to have no toilet seats, or they're broken. And uh, I was hypothesizing that. Um, that was a sign of the economic disaster in Greece, and people were gathering all the toilet seats and exporting them and selling them in order to make money to, you know, bring Greece back into the into the black. <laughs> yes. So, so that's uh, so that's story one. Um, that's story one. So it's a three-parter. So um, essentially, the idea here is that I travel to three different countries. Um, so we'll talk about country number two in this episode, and country number three in the next one. Um, Croatia. Croatia. So my wife uh, was friends. She met um, this person in graduate school who lives in Ukraine. Um, and she married this scuba diver guy uh, who lives in Croatia. And so they had the wedding in, in Croatia in this little city called Ravin, which is just a few hours boat ride from Venice. Okay. So anyway, Croatia, uh, you know, when I first, uh, when we were first thinking about going to this wedding, I was like, Croatia, 
why does that sound so familiar? You know, so I had to read about the history a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, Croatia, that's right. It's part of former Yugoslavia and they, they wanted their independence. And then unfortunately they got invaded and there was this war for like five years. But, um, I'm a huge uh, Game of Thrones fan. Oh, okay. If, if you are, Steve, nope, you've got to not yet. Not at all. But, Never seen an episode. No, I have not. But uh, but I'm told I'm going to begin watching Game of Thrones very soon. So, ah, <laughs> so. okay. So I, I was about to just totally talk about Game of Thrones, um, but if you want me to kind of censor it and not spoil anything, yeah, you, and I you always have to that. say spoiler alert first. I mean, I'm okay with little tidbits, but whatever. If you can, you know, dance around big things that uh, I might be frustrated with knowing, uh, you know, it's in a over the summer, then might be advisable. Oh, okay. If it's if okay, it's okay. important to your story, go for it. But say spoiler okay. alert first because yeah, okay. So I'm just gonna say spoiler alert for any of you who are really interested in, in watching Game of Thrones um, or reading the books. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Um, I listened to the audiobooks and then I started listening to watching the show. I think it was about two years late when I started actually watching the show. Um, so there was like a you know weekend marathons of, of catching up on the yeah. DVDs and stuff. So. Um, Okay, so yeah, major spoiler alert, this happens in the first couple of seasons, so for those of you who maybe haven't watched the last season or two, it doesn't matter, this happened early, earlier on. Actually, I don't remember when it happened, but... Okay, point is, uh, major scene, so it's going to be hard not to, uh, you know, uh, mention names here, but I'm going to try really, 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 really hard. So, Dubrovnik is this beautiful, beautiful... Uh, city i can't say castle because it's not a castle it's, it's a walled fortified city um which makes it really really beautiful because you you look at it and you think oh yeah that's you know one of these typical beautiful european cities with all the cool red roofs and everything but when you look at it very carefully um there's this massive wall with these you know defense towers and stuff around it and they're not very many places like that in, in the world and that's one of the reasons i think dubrovnik uh, you know stands out um it did get damaged in the in the in the in their independence war a bit, and you can see some of that um, when you you know walk around and do tours of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a Game of Thrones tour. It was about three hours long, and uh, we went to all the different places where they filmed you know different scenes. So our tour guide was just awesome. So Dubrovnik, um, I should say, was where most of the King's Landing. Um, scenes took place so when you watch the show and you you know see all these scenes of king's landing much of that is is dubrovnik with a ton of cgi thrown thrown into there okay <laughs> so you have these buildings and stuff these really cool buildings like baylor sept and i think the red keep uh which don't actually exist um i think it's all cgi but but generally the the, the city is uh supposed to be king's Landing. okay so anyway um yeah, so uh, for three hours, you know, I had my Apple Watch on and I was walking around for three hours and I got, you know, uh, I filled in my loops and the loops filled in the loops and I got badges saying, woo, you doubled your goal. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Cool. I'm just walking around, man. And um, <laughs> so uh, so there is this uh, huge, huge, huge scene um, where a major character gets killed. So I'm not going to say who it is, okay, that's... but I will say that um, almost, I think, probably, I think it's fair to say all the Game of Thrones fans uh, rejoiced uh, and were very delighted that this major character, who was probably the most supreme douchebag in the entire show, finally died. Um, so the scene, I'm going to try to paint the scene for all of you guys. This happened um, 
at a kind of a, a ceremony. Um, so when they shot it, it was a flat area, you know, kind of like a lawn area, um, with you know uh, chairs and kind of benches, and it was obviously kind of like you know a flat sort of made up area. They could have done it. They could have filmed it in like a baseball stadium or something like that, right? Yeah. So you didn't you didn't see King's Landing in the background or, or anything. They could have filmed it, filmed it anywhere. So they told us that the actual scene happened in a parking lot, and they showed us where the parking lot was. <laughs> it was the most anticlimactic thing ever yeah. because everybody wanted to know where this made, you know, where this major character yes died, went to his demise. Died, yeah, right. It was like, yeah, where did that guy die? I wanted to know where he died. It was like it's outside the convenience store, right over here. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's in that parking lot. See those fifty cars right there? Uh-huh. It's right there. Like no. I mean, they weren't there when we were shooting, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they had to kind of displace everyone and pissed off a lot of people. But they walked off the parking lot and and tried to film the sequence of events as soon as uh, as quickly as possible, so that people could go and you know park their cars back there. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. So that was the excitement of Croatia, huh? Yeah, yeah. So Croatia was exciting in, in many, many different ways. But uh, you know, one of the things that really excited me was the whole Game of Thrones thing because um, you know I love that show and it was really cool to walk around and um, see where these scenes were were filmed. Yeah, I have a lot of other things to say about Croatia. Uh, I'll just say the women there are absolutely gorgeous. They are. Um, same thing in Greece. I didn't say that last time. I mean, Greek women and Croatian women, even Ukrainian women, are just like, oh my god. Like amazing, that's awesome. They should all be supermodels. It's, it's nuts. They should be, but then they're. Yeah. They, but when you have a million of them, then they're they're just models. It's just norm. Like it doesn't yeah, feel just, super anymore because exactly. it's it's your way of life, right? Like exactly. And that was kind of weird about. It. I'm like walking around, like wow, there are so many attractive people here. I almost felt like it was some sort of, I don't know, convention for. You know, some beauty pageant or something. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like, just, this is so it's just weird. how it is. Like, really attractive people here. Yeah, and it's not just the women; it's, it's the guys and, and everyone. Uh, not not really, you know, specific to any sort of age range. Just a lot of very attractive people there. Nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and then uh, so the I kind of want to wrap up Croatia with a. Uh, did you see that video that my wife posted? Of you singing, of me like singing. I yeah, I did want to bring that into the the podcast. I'm glad you. I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned that. Yeah. So she. Um, so that 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 took place at the wedding that we went to, and um, the wedding uh, took place partially on a on an old sailboat. This really beautiful old wooden sailboat, and um, there was a famous DJ uh, that was there very famous DJ uh, that's uh, local to the area that was there who, um, you know, was DJing the whole thing. And he played some really good music. And I think that was like a Beatles song I was dancing to. Okay. Come together. I don't well, what we'll, it was. It's okay. We'll listen to it right now. Let's, let's, oh, we will? We oh, will. no. We absolutely oh, will. Oh, no. Here it is. Uh, Now. So, <laughs> you mentioned it. I did want to bring that up, but yeah, you you mentioned I, it, so I, I had to say let's listen to it. I heard let's <laughs> listen to it when you when you bring it on the pod. It's fair game. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to say that um, 
uh, I don't remember that. Uh huh. Um, it happened on a sailboat. I remember being on the sailboat. I remember the DJ. I remember the awesome music. I remember all of us just celebrating the wedding. Um, this has happened. This was the first event that we did right after the ceremony in the church. Yeah. We all went down from the cathedral into the onto this boat and did the sunset cruise, and it was just one massive boat party. Uh, so yeah, so my wife posted that, and I looked at it. She didn't tell me she did, she was going to do this. I just you know popped up on on Facebook, and I looked at looked at that. Holy shit, that's me, and I'm singing to the Beatles, and I don't remember this at all. Had a couple of drinks. Know, yeah. I don't even know who I'm dancing with. Like, I, who is this person? I was going to ask. I was going to ask who that <laughs> nice lady was. Uh, I model. don't know, but uh, I, we, both of us were singing to the camera, and my wife was holding the camera. Uh-huh. So I think all three of us dancing, or maybe there were four of us that were dancing, and she just started recording it. So yeah. what you see is just me and this lady <laughs> dancing together and um apparently uh, her name is also maria oh and uh she easy for like, you to remember uh yeah exactly she's like 40 something she doesn't look like it she's 40 something and she has like a 21 year old kid nice and it's like you look like you're 21 it's crazy <laughs> how do you have a 21 year old kid you look like you're 21 yeah so uh anyway yeah so i guess a lot of what happened you know in croatia i don't really remember yeah um but yes uh, i think alcohol was definitely involved uh in that and um you know let me just kind of finish it off with uh you know i'm you know me i'm kind of i'm a sort of a beer guy i like drinking i beer. do know that about it's always, you. yeah you do know that about me. I, I love going out and finding um you know delicious beers in different cities and, and different countries and which is really 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 hard to find in europe especially greece and croatia there are the whole microbrew thing or craft beer thing has is just starting to happen so if you can find a nice craft brew it's really hard to do that they're not you know mainstream in any sort of uh, you know bar restaurant or anything you have to go find some specialty shop and then you know the beer is warm and anyway so it was pretty much like a wine a wine party lots of wine not not your beer. I'm sorry. No, that yeah. was kind of. Depressing. You you seem to be okay with it. You after. I am okay. I am okay with it. I did find one excellent craft beer in Dubrovnik at the specialty shop uh, that was called, and it's appropriate for this uh, podcast, Janus Hoplin. Ooh. Ooh. And it was a hoppy, delightful IPA. It was great. That was, sounds it was, great. It was, it was definitely worthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we need to Janus Hoplin into the interview that we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we have on the program today, but but that, that was another story from Jens's international trip. So we got one more for you next week. Uh, it's going to go out on a on a big note. We'll we'll hear it'll, about well, it. Yeah, it'll go out on a big note. I've got some uh, you know stories uh, you know brewing about the the next um, uh, episode in the trilogy. There, um, yep. I I can say though uh, I had no toilet seat problem at all in Croatia. I mean, best toilet seats ever in that country. So if you ever want to travel and you and you want to be guaranteed a nice toilet seat, Croatia is, is, is it. That should be on their traveler's brochure. Somebody should write a book, like yes. best and worst toilet seats. Yes, traveling. do it. Let's, <laughs> let's get into this interview. Let's bring in our special guest, Lance Lopez. Let's, uh, let's listen to my chat with Lance. Here it is. Hey, Lance, how's it going? This is Steve Jones from Concert Pipeline. Hey, Steve. How are you, man? Hey, doing good. Doing good. We're here with Lance Lopez. How's your day going, Lance? Man, it's going pretty good, man. Thanks for calling and thanks for thanks for doing this. Hey, for sure. Thank you for taking the time. So, uh, uh, are you uh, where are you located right now? 
I actually live in um, um, Longview, Texas. I'm actually two hours uh, east of Dallas and, and about an hour uh, from the Louisiana border. Yeah, pretty hot out there right now? Oh, man, it's crazy. It's like uh, like 100, maybe right around 90, 99, 100. Oh, uh, yeah. Like yeah, hot, hot days. I'm, uh, I'm out west in Napa, California, and it's uh, it's pretty hot here. We're in, we're in, in the 90s, but not quite that, and, and probably not as much humidity either. So uh, I, I'll try not to complain. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so wanted, yeah, I wanted to take a little time talk to you about your uh, career, uh, the uh, your albums, uh, kind of your history in music, that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, let's. I mean, uh, let me kind of start back from from the beginning. You kind of uh, started and really growing an interest in music, like when you were eight, right? Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was eight years old. Absolutely, uh, it kind of started a little earlier than that, probably around three years old. Um, when uh, when my dad showed me a video cassette of the uh, of Elvis Presley '68 comeback special, and that's kind of what thrust me into guitar playing and wanting to play guitar and uh, all of that. That was the one that kind of did it for me. Watching that, this uh, was life changing. Yeah, and your dad was in the army with Elvis, right? Yeah, yeah, they were they were uh, they knew each other from Louisiana because Elvis had lived in. Louisiana for uh, about 18 months and they became friends in Louisiana actually um, at the Louisiana Hayride and which was like the Grand Old Opry and it was a uh, a show that Elvis was a part of before he you know broke you know worldwide and and um, they became friends there and then uh, years later they were uh, stationed in Germany together so they that's what kind of solidified their bond and, and so that's why my father was uh, very supportive when I wanted to um, to play music, and when he showed me the video of the '68 comeback special, it wasn't like um, it was a matter of him just showing me that this was my friend, you yeah. know. And so when he showed me that, I just knew him as my dad's friend that played guitar, and maybe he wanted to play guitar. I didn't know it was Elvis Presley, you know, <laughs> and what he was, yeah, you know, at the time when I was a child. So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty major. So my dad was very, very mm-hmm. supportive and, and encouraging, and and uh, backed my. Um, back to my career and my guitar playing did your dad get a chance to like see a lot of that uh that passion and that uh kind of incredible taste for music before i mean you, you mentioned they were uh, they knew each other before elvis broke so i mean did he like was he playing guitar in the army and do you have stories like that oh yeah absolutely i've got some really cool photos of them together over in germany and stuff and, and later on too but yeah they um no absolutely he um you know, he showed me that video, and I was like, you know, I was, I was kind of from that point on, I was really obsessed about it, because if you watch the footage, it's very candid footage, you know, of, of Elvis sitting in the round with Scotty Moore and, and DJ Fontana and some of the, you know, his early band guys, and they're just kind of sitting in a circle in the round playing, you're just kind of laughing and joking and playing. It's very, it's much like being in the room with them, you know? Yeah. So um, it, it really enthralled me to want to play guitar, and uh, I remember the big Gibson guitar that Elvis had. I'll never forget ever seeing it, and black leather, you know. So yeah, it was really cool to, to see that. So um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, the minute that I showed interest, it was um, you know he you know really was uh, you know all about it, and he um, he got me a guitar for a Christmas present, and. Uh, but then it was like we're gonna we're gonna you know really sit down and work at this and if you you get a 
you know, I'm going to get you an, an acoustic beginner guitar, and then, you know, once you progress on that and, and you, you know, stick with it and work hard on it, then I'll get you an electric. It was much like that. It was much like earning, you know, um, how bad do you want to play? Because I didn't want to buy a lot of, you know, instruments and guitar if it just was something I just wanted to just do for the moment and then just, you know, like a lot of kids I grew up with. I mean, they would start playing guitar and then just, move on to something else and for, you know he wanted to make sure that i was really really serious about it so that's what even drove the passion harder was like if i if i was able to achieve the next level you know then i would get a new guitar a new amp and something cooler you know and, and that's kind of how my dad really worked it and, and he bought me a beginner acoustic guitar and then he bought uh chuck berry's greatest hits album and was like okay we're going to learn all these songs <laughs> yeah i really get it you know? You know, it's like you have to learn all these songs, and once you learn all these songs, then we'll then we'll start talking about a you know electric guitar or something else. You know? Yeah. So he was really supportive. Was he was he a musician himself, or did he just uh, drive that passion for you for you? No, he drove that passion for me. And, and the cool thing about it was he um, he was a, he was actually a police officer. He was a homicide detective, and uh, in the seventies and the in the eighties, and. Uh, so that's what even grew the affinity within his relationship with Elvis even better because my Elvis really admired what my dad did, you know, even after the army and Elvis and my dad admired Elvis for who he was. So they had this affinity for each other in this relationship that was really cool because Elvis like looked up to my dad, my dad looked up to Elvis. So there was, you know, he, he had been around that scene and been around him and saw the respect that Elvis commanded and really respected you know that world so that's why when he knew that i wanted to play music he um you know that's why he was really super supportive of it because he had been kind of in that inner circle you know yeah yeah it would have been really cool to be around at that time when i mean music was booming and you had i mean this presence i mean like elvis i mean just being you around that presence is just i mean and being able to have those stories is really incredible so that's that's cool that, right right so that's why he was as, as um as supportive as he was of me being a guitarist and being a musician yeah and and then kind of uh, shortly after that you uh, as you started getting into guitar you you discovered Jimi hendrix like how did how did he inspire you? What what it, what was it about him that kind of were like, okay, I can connect to this? Oh, man, it was, um, you know, it was otherworldly. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget the day that it happened. It was in 1987, too. So I was, I was about 10 years old. You know, I was a little kid. I'd been playing guitar for a couple of years, but I'd been kind of, you know, uh, banging on that guitar my dad got and, and playing the Chuck Berry songs and, you know, um, rock, you know, the 80s rock thing was really happening, and, and all the kids in the neighborhood were really into, you know, shredder guitar. You know, they were into the, the uh, you know, the hair bands of the day, you yeah. know, and a lot of the kids were kind of divided into sections of, you know, Eddie Van Halen and, and Randy Rhodes and all the big kind of shredder guitar heroes of that time. And I was always drawn to more bluesier music of kind of the generation before, you know, and uh, not not realizing that, you know, I was naturally gravitating to the blues. And um, um, so they, my older brother and his friends came in and they had a copy, an original copy, and I still have it today. I still own the, I own the copy of the album of Are You Experienced, a real uh, U.S. print from 1967. Wow. And they came in and they had a, it was a 12-inch vinyl record, and, and they put it on the turntable and that was the first song I ever had heard was Are You Experienced? And I remember sitting on the bed and I was looking at the album cover 
And and what's funny is is that that was the era that Purple Rain had come out, and it was this huge big thing all over pop culture. You know, it was Purple Rain, and I was looking at the album cover thinking, man, this guy looks like Prince. Yeah. <laughs> like wow, this guy. And then I remember hearing Are You Experienced and thinking, oh man, but this is just ways. This I can like really get into this, and and this is just so much better. And and I you know it just, I thought it was a brand new album I thought it had come out that day that's how otherworldly yeah. it had happened and everybody laughed and my older brother and his friends laughed and kind of pointed at me and were like man this album's been out for twenty years <laughs> but it was new and, to you and it was mind blowing yeah and I was like and I didn't believe them I was like no you guys are lying this is not true this is a brand new album this is it was so otherworldly, and, and they were laughing and rolling all over themselves and were just like, oh, this is, man, this guy's been dead for, you know, this, this and that. And, I, and it was just like bittersweet. It was so surreal because I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And, and then you're telling me the guy's dead. He's gone, you know, and it was like, so I began this quest. I mean, that set the bar for me for guitar players and music in general, period. Yeah, and those those first those first three Jimi Hendrix Experience albums, you know, Are You Experienced, Axis Gold is Love, and Electric Ladyland, became like my go-to albums. Those were my number one records that you know, and and that later uh, you know period of my childhood, and um, which led me to then, you know, we saw all those bands and rock bands in the in the eighties, mid to late eighties, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, he set the bar, and I would go and I would listen to Hendrix, and it would just be this otherworldly experience. And then I would go, man, you know, and I would go see a guitar player. I go, that was great, but I don't feel the same way I do when I listen to Jimi Hendrix, you know, and uh, until we moved to Texas when yeah. I was 12. Mm -hmm. And um, when I moved to Texas, um, when I moved to Texas, we, um, um, we, my mom took me to see B.B. King. And um, when I went to see B.B. King, we got to the concert and uh, I was, I got there, and I was walking around the concert area, and I'm looking around, and everybody's got these T-shirts that have SRV on them. And I'm going, what is SRV? What does that mean? Like, everybody in, in the, at the concert had an SRV T-shirt. And then B.B. King came out and played that afternoon. And I'm thinking, why is he already playing so early? The sun's not even down. And the sun went down, it got dark, and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble played. Yeah, and so that was the point that I was like, okay, there it is. There's that same thing that I get when I listen to Hendrix, and then he launched into you know Voodoo Child, like where he started playing a Hendrix song. Oh and, wow! Uh, so that that was what thrust me into playing blues at that point. So that was that kind of connection between you know Hendrix and and then seeing Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, and then the same thing happened. It was like. You know, hearing the Hendrix album for the first time, and then they're going, you know, I'm thinking it's brand new. And they're like, man, this guy's been dead for however many years he had been at that time. And then I saw Stevie Ray in Dallas, and then two months later, he was gone. So it was just like, here it is, I found it. And I found the, the guy that's, you know, that's like really nailing the whole thing that I was looking for, and then he was gone. So it was like, it just started this whole quest of, you know, um, of, of delving into that style of music and really, you know, digging into it.
Yeah, it's it's really tough losing these great presidents presences too. As uh, I mean, I was uh, back in January. I was at the EMP Museum. I took my kids a, a, in uh, Seattle, and uh, and I was just really enamored by all the all the uh, Jimi Hendrix items there. And uh, I mean, how personal some of it was. And like the uh, that was the same day David Bowie had died. Uh, he died late. Not, I mean, it came out that night that he died. And like, I uh, my daughter is a big fan of David Bowie. And like the next morning, we were on the uh, on the bus to go back to the plane. And uh, and my daughter's asking me, so how, Dad, how how did Jimmy die? And I was, I was just like, oh, such a profound question. And I did, was debating over telling her about about David Bowie, you know. And so we just sat down and had a conversation. I mean, it's uh, you know great to get your kids started and inter really interested in music and uh, understanding like all these legends that are so profound it's uh incredible. absolutely I, and that, that brings to mind the exact conversations that i used to have with my dad about elvis yeah you know, because i knew they were friends and i had photographs of of them in our house you know i had photos of them you know together and i would ask him you know what what happened to elvis why did what, how did he pass away because that was the thing my mom said the minute that he passed away and they got word is, is he died about a month before I was born, and that was what my mom said. She was like, you know, I'll never be able to meet him. You know, that was her first thought yeah. when he passed away. And that's what I would always ask. And he would always have to kind of try to dance around, you know, what happened to him, you know. And, and it was, you know, so it was, it was pretty tragic and pretty heartbreaking, you know, when I finally was, you know, able to, to really find out what happened. So, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I just brought the same thing to mind. Absolutely. For sure, and uh, and so um, you uh, obviously been playing guitar for a long time, like we talked about, and you uh, typically uh, use um, Stratocaster guitars now, right? I did. You know, I, I played Strats for many, many years, um, especially because that was the guitar choice of Jimi Hendrix. And then I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he was playing one, so I thought, yeah, this works great. I still play them occasionally, but I'm, I've mainly moved to... Um, and I always had. I mainly moved to a Les Paul now. Yeah. So I, I play a Les Paul, but yeah, I played Stratocasters for, gosh, well over 20 years, and uh, and I still have some. I have a really cool one. Have a couple of really cool ones, and and uh, uh, but yeah, I love Strats. And uh, uh, but for my sound today, I use. I kind of. I've used both. You know, I'll use both, but mainly, primarily, I play uh, a Les Paul now. Yeah, and uh, and speaking about now playing, your your new album is uh, live in New York. Uh, tell me about how how that came together and uh, and kind of the process for when you're doing a, a live album. Uh, you know how you kind of go into it. Uh, you know, prepared uh, for it to be on the album, or is it was it kind of retrospective? Um, well, <clears throat> the live in New York album came about by. Um, just by happenstance. I mean, I was on tour with Johnny Winter. I was touring the East Coast, and I'd already I'd toured in Europe with Johnny, and Johnny and I were dear friends, and, um, you know, we were both from Texas and both had a lot of mutual, um, you know, like around from the area where Johnny was, was, was from. I have a lot of family from that area, so it was, you know, it was that whole kinship that we had. And so we... Uh, we were on tour together, and, we were, and Johnny's birthday party was coming up at BB King's in, in New York City, and I knew all these great blues players were coming to jam with Johnny, and it was going to be this big jam thing. And um, so while we were on tour, Johnny asked me, you know, hey man, come, you know, come play the birthday party. And 
that's when I uh, was just like, wow, I, you know, yeah, I'll come play. I thought he meant just come sit in because I'd always jammed with Johnny when we were on the road together. Yeah. And he said, and he was like, no, I want you and your band to do what we're doing now, you know, opening the, the party. And I thought, wow, what an, what an honor. You know, it was Johnny's 70th birthday party. It was a big deal. And um, we, uh, you know, we, we got to New York, and, and I just knew that I had to really perform, uh, you know, the best I could at the time for Johnny, you know. And, uh, you know, were there other better nights on that tour? Yeah, probably. But, you know, that was just the milestone. It was, a, it was a, you know, it was the event. It was the actual particular time and where we were in place. And so... Um, you know, I just went out there and just gave it everything I had, you know. Yeah. And um, and then a few months later, Johnny was gone. Yeah. You know, he passed away, and that was a really hard time for me. I mean, I'm still getting over it. I mean, Johnny was my friend. You know, a lot of people think of Johnny Winter as the icon and the, you know, the Texas guitar hero. And then, you know, here in Texas, he was our first guitar hero. You know, he was the first one before Stevie Ray or Billy Gibbons or anybody. He was the first guitar hero, you know. And, uh, so he was a good teacher of mine, a good friend of mine, everything like that, above and beyond, you know, a hero. You know, he was, very, he was, we were very close. And so Johnny passed away, and it was a really hard time for me. And, and his manager and guitar player and producer, Paul Nelson, called me in the yeah. middle of all of it. And I thought he was just calling to check on me and see how I was doing, you know, after Johnny passed. And he called me and said, man, I just listened to your set from the party. And I thought, what are, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he goes, man, they recorded your performance at Johnny's birthday party and he was super excited he goes I think we have an album a live album and um, that's where I was totally like taken aback and I knew if he was excited as he was about it it had to have been it had to have been great you know so we uh, you know and then they did all the post-production work in New York City at a studio up in Brooklyn up there and then sent me what they had been working on and yeah I was completely completely amazed by how, you know, it had turned out because it had been, it was such just like a flash, you know, it was like a quick set. BB Kings was sold out and, you know, and it was just like, all I could think about was like, man, I got to play my heart out for Johnny. You know, it's Johnny's birthday. It's a big deal. Everybody's here, you know, and he's in, he's in, you know, entrusted me to kind of open the party and ask me to do this. So it's like, I just wanted to do the best I could. And, um, you know, so to sit back and listen to it was like, wow, you know. So we were always really happy with the post-production they did in New York on it and, and just, uh, you know, how it all turned out. And, you know, I didn't want to release it, you know, too close to the yeah. time. I felt like it needed time. You know, we needed some time to let it let it breathe and, and let it kind of lie. And, and, you know, I wanted it to kind of just sit there for a minute. And then we, you know, a year or so later, we released it, so... Yeah, and um, you uh, mentioned Paul Nelson produced it, and I'm actually going to be talking to Paul in like an hour and a half here. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Yeah, and uh, and so how was have you worked with him before, uh, or is this kind of just the first kind of uh, collaboration uh, in terms of? Yeah, uh, Paul and I have worked together in the in the past, and, and you know Paul's great. We uh, we've done some studio work in the past. We we've worked on um, worked on some things, and I worked on Johnny Winter's last album with him on a track with Johnny Winter and Billy Gibbons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually our first encounter in the studio on the on Johnny's last album. You know, it was the first time Billy Gibbons and Johnny had recorded together, and Paul brought me in to help mix that track. Um, 
you know, and then we cut a lot of tracks, um, you know, with this house that I have that I've been mounting for a new album. So we worked on a bunch mm -hmm. of tracks together and, and we recorded together. So, yeah, I've worked with Paul in the past and uh, Paul now has his new album out and he's doing a lot of stuff. So, yeah, he's, um, you know, he, he really did a lot for Johnny Winter. You know, he really oh, yeah. helped prolong Johnny's life and, and did a great deal for him. And, you know, down here in Texas, we really thank him for all he did for Johnny. Oh, for sure, and I, I look forward to talking to him about that, too. I know it's uh, probably, I mean, a lot of emotions tied in into that as well, uh, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So, um, you mentioned Billy Gibbons. You were just, uh, uh, I saw pictures of you jamming with Billy Gibbons a couple weeks ago in the Netherlands, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. W uh, what brought you to the Netherlands? Well, we have a, <clears throat> we have a brand new band that we put together called Supersonic Blues Machine. And um, it's um, primarily between myself and um, bassist and producer Fabrizio Grossi um, and uh, our drumming legend Kenny Aronoff, you know, who played with John Mellencamp and John Fogarty. Um, how that all came about was basically I was putting together a new album. And uh, I've been over in Europe, and a lot of people in Europe were telling me to look up Fabrizio Grossi. And Fabrizio is, is a great producer. He gets amazing guitar tones. And that's why all guitar players love Fabrizio Grossi. I mean, he's played and, and worked with Steve Vai and Leslie West and Joe Bonamassa and all these great guitarists. And so, and Billy loves him. So um, everybody in Europe was telling me to look him up. So I, I got home from uh, Europe and it was time to do a... Uh, a new record, and so I uh, reached out to Fabrizio. We have some mutual friends online and Facebook and stuff, and so I reached out to him and said, hey, man, you know, uh, I've been suggested to, to get a hold of you and let's talk. And so he said, man, well, send me what you're working on. Send me some ideas. So I did, and he, he listened to him, and he said, man, when next time you're in L.A., come by the studio. Let's try to, let's try to make something happen. So, um, so I went to L.A., and we went, I went to Fabrizio studio and we cut these amazing tracks. It came out really good. We had great chemistry. We were like best buddies, new best friends, long lost brothers, the whole deal. I mean, you know, it was like we had this amazing chemistry and everybody was right. Everybody overseas had been right. They had said, you know, you two guys must hook up. So, uh, and everybody was absolutely correct. So we got together and, uh, I went back to Texas and, uh, a week or so later, right afterwards, Billy Gibbons called Fabrizio and said, hey, I want to come by and work on some tracks. Um, and he said, what have you been up to? And, and uh, Fabrizio told him, he said, man, I, got, I had a guy from Texas that just left here named Lance Lopez. And Billy was so, he's like, oh, man, I've known Lance since he was a little kid, which I had. Yeah. I've Billy since I was 16 years old. I mean, I used to, I, you know, I grew up around ZZ Top guys and open shows for ZZ Top and everything else. I mean, Billy's been a mentor of mine since I was 16. So, um, you know, so there was that connection and then Fabrizio loved, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Billy loved Fabrizio. So he was, man, and it was Billy's idea that said, you two guys need to form a band, Yeah. you know, and, it, and if you form a band, I want to be in the band. I want to, I want to play with you guys. When, when, you, when I say two guys, I mean three, right? <laughs> Exactly. So, and then, so Fabrizio called me. I was back in Dallas, and Fabrizio called me and said, Man, Billy Gibbons was just here. He wants us to form a band. 
And I thought, wow, that would be amazing. And um, I said, well, we need a drummer. Who do you think we could play drums? And he said, uh, and then he said, oh, I got a guy. Little did I know he was going to go to Kenny Aronoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, I had no idea it was going to go to that level. And he did. He went and he took the tracks that we had cut over to Kenny Aronoff. And Aronoff was completely in. And uh, so, yeah, so that's how we, we, we put it all together. Originally, it was going to be, you know, uh, Billy Gibbons, Kenny Aronoff, Fabrizio Grossi and I. And then we thought, man, let's just start asking the rest of our friends to come join the band. And we went to uh, the great Warren Haynes, Walter Trout, Robin Ford, all of our, all of the guys that were our favorite, you know, greatest guitar players we thought of that um, were also our friends. Yeah, and we're really fortunate and lucky that all of our favorite guitarists are our friends. You know, so we put together an album that was more about you know uh, musical and playing together than just a big jam record of us just solo after solo after solo. You know, we really wanted something to be very musical yeah. and um, and cohesive as opposed to just a big blues jam album. So. And that's we put together a record, and uh, yeah, and so our it, the gig in Holland was our first concert we ever played. So yeah, uh, we had Billy with us, we had Walter Trout with us, and we had Robin Ford with us. So we we uh, we had a slot with at the uh, Holland International Blues Festival, which was the first year of that festival, and we shared the bill with Bonnie Raitt, Tedeschi Trucks Band, and uh, Robert Randolph and the Family Band, and JJ Gray and Mofro. So we had a we had a great time, a large time over in Holland, and, and uh, you know, we're looking forward to doing some more playing, and, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to getting out. Uh, we're going to mainly start in Europe, you know. We're going to start kind of getting some traction overseas, and then we plan on coming back over uh, 2017 with the band, and we just have to, you know, we just have to book around uh, ZZ Top schedule and, yeah. and, uh, and all the other guitarist schedules so that we can have, you know, it'd be a special event, you know, we really want it to be a special guitar event, an event for the band, you know, so, um, but yeah, we've got a lot of plans for next year. Yeah, and, and we didn't mention the name of the album, uh, West of Flushing, South of Frisco, so that that came pretty naturally? Organically? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's it, it, what, it, what that means is all roads lead to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, Supersonic Blues Machine was born in L.A. We we consider it a Los Angeles-based band. I'm the only guy that's in Texas. I mean, Billy and I. Billy kind of lives between L.A. and Texas. So he, me and him are the two guys that are kind of back and forth. Um, you know, I've lived in both New York and L.A., so uh, it, it's it's one of my home away from homes, and it's definitely been my home away from home as of recent. So, uh, you know, I consider Los Angeles one of my homes, you know, other than Texas. And, and uh, so I've lived in New York City. Fabrizio, when he moved here from Milan, Italy, that, he lived in New York for many years and before he moved out to L.A. So Fabrizio and I had both had a history of living in New York City. So, um, and then, you know, it's giving kind of a coordinates by, you know, we went out west, but not quite to San Francisco, so south. So it's like Flushing is Flushing Meadow, Queens. And that's where Fabrizio lived for um, many years. And that's where Leslie West is from, you know, that's where the New York Mets play and all that. So Fabrizio lived there for a long time. So it's west of Flushing, and then you get to San Francisco, yeah. and it's south of Frisco. So that's kind of the deal. It's all kind of all roads leading to Los Angeles which we consider supersonic blues machine a Los Angeles band. 
Well, when when you do the tour, don't forget about San Francisco. We'd love to uh, see you guys up here in the in the Bay for sure. So. Absolutely, I haven't been there in so long. I love that whole area. It's just always so wonderful to be up there. The vibes are always great. The air is always great. I mean, it's just it's so beautiful there. I think the last time I played in that area was in Marin County at uh, the old Sweetwater Station. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice nice venue there for sure. Yeah, I loved it. It was just the vibe was just so amazing. That's been that's been several years. Time to get back, Lance. Time to get back. <laughs> it is, man. I, it is. I just love it. I get so inspired every time I'm in the Bay Area. You know, I'm just hoping we'll be able to get back out that way soon. Not, you know, with my band as well as Supersonic Business. Yeah, definitely. Well, Lance, thank you for taking the time to to chat today. It was a, an awesome conversation, and I loved hearing about um, about how, uh, your career and how you you came to where you are. And by the way, on live in New York, that your guitar uh, solo in, in "Traveling Riverside Blues" is just incredible. I I mean, I, I love it. I love it. It's uh, uh, well. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and hopefully, I'll see you in the Bay Area soon. Yeah, definitely. Hey, all this is Lance Lopez. Keep all rocking the blues. You're listening to the Concert Pipeline. Thanks to Lance Lopez for being on the program. Really, really inspirational conversation, and love talking to you about your uh, dad being in the army with Elvis and getting to hear those stories uh, of how he got started in music and uh, that friendship that really budded Lance's career uh, as well kind of inspired him to uh, get into music. So um, that was really cool. Um, it's time for our uh, next segment, Jens. What is that? Music news. <laughs> All right. Yes, we have some good stories. I want to start off with the story uh, uh, that actually relates to, like I said, Elvis uh, uh, there. And Scotty Moore, uh, Elvis's pre- Elvis Presley's longtime guitarist and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, he died on Tuesday in his uh, home in Nashville. Oh, um, no. So sad. Yeah, there's no cause of death, death provided, but he'd been in poor health in recent months. He was 84. Um, Karen Fontana, the wife of Presley drummer DJ Fontana, also confirmed the, the death to Rolling Stone. Uh, and he, uh, They said, uh, it's with great sadness that we say goodbye to Scotty Moore, my first inspiration. Keith Richards said that actually in a statement. Um, he uh, The work he performed on those incredible early Elvis tracks, stay with me forever. Farewell, old friend. Um, and yeah, so... Um, so we lost a, a great that, that's been around for a while, but it sounds like he's had a, a pretty good life. He's, he was, I don't, it doesn't sound like he was taken too early. 84. That's a, that's about where I want to go. I think I don't, uh, I don't I need, would, I don't need I don't to get into, know if I want to make it to 84. I don't yeah. need to get into my nineties or hit a hundred yeah. or anything like that. I, I guess it totally depends on your, on your, um, I don't know on how you're doing. Like if I get to a point where I just. I can't remember anything. Like I just can't remember five minutes ago. I mean, my my memory's already pretty bad. <laughs> so I feel like, gosh, you know, if I if I'm constantly forgetting things or um, you know walking into rooms, it's like, okay, why am I here? Or you know, you go into the car, it's like, okay, how do I drive this again? You know, if it's getting to that point, yeah. I really don't want to live that much longer. <laughs> um, or if it's like a chronic pain thing, or it's like you know you're always in 
you're in pain and you have to deal with pain management and it's just that your quality of life is just not there anymore um i mean maybe your health is but your quality of life isn't yeah i don't know yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, and I, I don't want to just be sitting in a chair day in and day out watching TV or anything like that. I mean, if it gets, I just, you know, that's not fun for me. I, I got to keep moving and um, and have something to live for, so. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to um, run around the country club every yeah, morning. Yeah, every morning. Right? What's going to happen if, when you can't do that anymore? If I can't do that gonna, anymore, there's no point gonna, in living, Jens. You're going to wheelchair yourself around. You're going to yeah, so, wheelchair yourself. Uh, it, it'll, be a, it'll be one of those... Uh, uh, those pushers with the tennis balls on it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I'll get People around. Will, like, or, get you, they'll come over and give you replacement tennis balls. And okay. That's, that's, stuff on them. that's very kind of them. Uh, <laughs> you have a story for us, Jens. Yes. Um, so I'm not a Justin Bieber fan at all, but it's fun to read about what he does. You hide it well. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And um, so I really don't know anything about this guy, except um, he has some, kind of silly stories to talk about. So one of them, uh, I think we talked about once, was him taking a picture of himself in Calvin Klein underwear. You talked um, about that. I, I talked about that? Okay, so let me follow this up with uh, a case that I guess has now been resolved. So let me give you a little bit of a background. So I guess back in, oh, almost two years ago, so July 2014, um, he decided to throw eggs at his neighbor he did he did yes that that happened he pelted, at, the house, at the house quote unquote yep. pelted yes yeah not the actual neighbor no <laughs> although that wouldn't <laughs> be exactly. that wouldn't be over him or anything either he's done shitty yeah. stuff. I, yes. I wouldn't i wouldn't put that passive yeah so let's be clear he didn't actually pelt the actual person but the property was pelted with eggs and this was uh, right here in california um and he was placed on two years of probation because of that. Uh, he was ordered to complete community service hours and anchor management courses or classes. Uh, and he had to, um, I guess, pay restitution to the resident. Um, anyway, so the news is he's now free from his obligations. Oh, good. Uh, I guess he's completed all of that stuff. And he is now a free man, no longer on probation. Go, go, Justin. Go, Justin, man. More power to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, next story I have, Jens. I don't have any comment on that. It's just congrat yeah, I, congratulations. So he's I don't have keep, any comment on that either. It just is what it is. He's going to keep getting away with stuff. It's it's funny. He uh, he talks smack to someone who's like uh, a, a six foot three three inch tall like big black dude like uh who uh, they were standing t next to each other like outside a nightclub or something and he asked if he could get a picture for his girlfriend or something and um and justin bieber was like uh no pictures motherfucker uh something <laughs> like that and and the black dude just straight bitch laughed at him like <laughs> yeah so badass yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, that's funny. Uh, is that on YouTube? I'd love to watch that. Uh, I'm sure it is. I don't know. I, I heard that story secondhand, but... It almost yeah. sounds like that Batman comic, you know, where, where Robin says something and that's... then, wham, you know, gets bitch slapped like that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, good times. <laughs> uh, so, Jens, the, uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall studio is being turned into luxury apartments. What? The London studio where Pink Floyd recorded their classic 1979 album, The Wall, will be turned into luxury apartments. 
the Victorian warehouse and enlisted church hall that housed the uh, Britannia Row studio um, in the Cannonbury district of Illingston will be transformed into eight luxury flats after the uh, planning committee at Illingston Council agreed uh, to the proposals uh, just a few days ago. Uh, they fought to ensure that at least part of the building will be uh, retained for office and studio space. A spokesman for the council tells Team Rock, I can confirm that the proposals were agreed last night at a meeting of the planning committee. Um, and they recorded the video for their track, Another Brick in the Wall, with pupils from the nearby Illingston Green School. Um, and so, yeah, the, it sounds like the wall is going down. Interesting. Wow. Uh, I wonder if people showed up to kind of, you know... Pay, pay tribute to that. How much would a brick in the wall? Album. How much yeah. would a brick in the wall be worth, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think we talked about what was it, Eminem's bricks um, on a recent podcast, yeah. like and how much, how expensive those were for part of his house. But the actual bricks from the wall that's referenced there, I I don't know, right? That'd that's be... a that's a timeless yeah epic album. Yes, yeah. So that's but they're bad. not demolishing it though, right? They're just kind of repurposing it. It's hard to say. I mean, obviously they'll have to they'll have to make some changes, but I don't know how they. I, I don't know. Mm. I'm not familiar with how the, the wall looks like. I, um, I'm not familiar with that. So mm. interesting. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Maybe we'll hear more about that in coming weeks and months. So. All right. Yeah. You have, you have another story for us? I do. Yeah. I just uh, very short story. I um. I always find it you know beautiful when pregnant women have their photos taken or if they do you know if they take their own photos so um <laughs> every now and then, every now and then you see them online or you see them you know in the, in the, in the uh checkout counters or grocery stores or something so the latest uh pregnancy photo that we have of a celebrity is the angry canadian alanis morissette who does not look at all angry um i have not seen this photo wow i'm um, looking I'm at it now now reading about it uh but I guess, um, uh, I mean, number one, Alanis Morissette is beautiful. Every time she smiles, she just, you know, radiates. So she took or had a photo taken of her uh, in, I guess, a pool. Um, she's naked. It, that seems it, naked. Naked is a good word for it. Yes. Okay. So I just read this as she took an underwear nude, but it's actually an underwater nude shot of herself so it is a selfie and she put it on it's, it's not a it's not a selfie though right like she's not holding the camera like are you you're looking at the picture right uh no i'm not oh. i'm looking at a picture of her fully clothed and the article oh. says pregnant alanis morissette has wowed fans by posting an underwater nude shot of herself Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't say it's, she no, shot it, at herself. It's okay. not a selfie. You can Google the image. Just Google Atlantis pregnant, and it'll be the first thing to come up. It's on, like, Vogue's website. Okay, so I actually put the word Google in my search, like Google. <laughs> you don't have to Google Google. <laughs> Google Atlantis pregnant. Yeah. And you can see the picture. It's, it is in, in a pool uh, underwater, and it's not a selfie. She's naked completely from the side. Got a big bursting baby coming out of her bursting belly oh my gosh okay yeah. you know what this looks like that looks like and this is probably nirvana's totally never it, exactly nirvana's it never like mind that epic album cover nirvana's never mind so she is sort of in a v-shaped with her butt going down 
Um, but the the shot is almost. I mean, you could just imagine that little baby, yeah, you know, swimming, swimming there. It's beautiful. That's really nice. Yeah, it's a cool, cool picture. Uh, I did meet her once. Um, you did? No I did. way. I saw her do. I mean, a really intimate performance. Like there were maybe twenty people there um, at a radio station, and um, I was sitting right in front um, of her. She did. It was like a four song set. It was really cool. So that is amazing. And do you remember what she sang? Um, I don't, but I, uh, if, if I knew where my set list book was, I would be able to, I got, I got her set list, um, afterwards. And so it, it was probably, you ought to know. And, mm. um, yeah, I mean, a couple of the big ones, it was just four songs. So, I mean, it was really cool. And then just got to meet was, her afterwards. It was so. probably all angry music. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, so I, I mean, even in a small song. room like that though, I mean, like, she still had that energy that her voice she's it, it would be like the same she's playing to 20,000 people or something radiates yeah yeah, yeah. she has so much power um and pro- projection in her voice yeah um so i know you might know more about this than, than i do steve but i just read recently and i don't remember this article really at all but um that uh that um nirvana nevermind yep album cover that baby wasn't actually in the water when they took that photo oh really yeah, so I don't know how they did it. I know there are a lot of babies, you know, that, that swim beautifully. Mm-hmm. They look like they're natural swimmers, you know, from yeah. from day zero, essentially, when they're born. Um, so I just thought, you know, this is one of those natural swimming babies that's very comfortable in the water, but I apparently, I don't know, it's Photoshopped or something and well, not actually swimming. I know it's like 18 or 20 years later now, and I have heard that that kid um, – uses it as a pickup line you know to to chicks uh, that, that uh you you've really? seen my wang you know <laughs> uh, have you seen my wang it's online no, no he has a yeah he uses that as a pickup line sort of thing so that's funny i, I would it. too why not right <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway the forever beautiful Alanis morissette yes exactly um so most recent uh rock star to fall off a stage is Slipknot's frontman Corey Taylor. Um, he actually he fell on stage, uh, so he says he's okay after falling uh, on stage Wednesday night and having to be helped from the stage. Um, he's still wearing a neck brace after having emergency surgery on his spine. He fell toward the end of the band's show, Liquid Amphitheater, in Atlanta, Georgia. In a Twitter post, he said, "Atlanta, haha, don't worry, I'm okay. I think that fall was one for the ages. Damn, it hurt, but damn, what a crowd. See you again soon." Um, fans describe seeing the singer fall and needing to be helped to his feet and, and off stage, and uh, he fell over and needed to be supported out. Didn't look good at all. So I'm not sure what caused the fall, or because uh, it doesn't sound like he fell off stage. It just sounds like he fell and then needed some help. And it's I think a little more metal to fall off stage than to just fall when you're the stage is right there and you're not falling for any purpose i don't know <laughs> yeah i think if i think if that were to happen to me um i would not want it to be me tripping over myself or tripping on a cord or a mic stand or something it'd have to be you know tripping off stage into the fans or something more dramatic right um yeah, yeah. so cory taylor apparently doing well needing a neck brace in, uh, in addition to his mask uh that he wears in slipknot so ah poor guy yeah, I have one more story, ends, and then we're going to wind out music news. But this is kind of a longer f- f- story with a kind of funny purpose. So does it have a happy ending, or is it more tragedy? <laughs> it's not tragedy. We're going to end on a light <laughs> note here. All uh, right, good. Good okay. to save that to the end. Yeah. So, 
it, uh, I was talking to my girlfriend last night, and uh, and we were talking about I, I don't know. She she'd made me a playlist of songs that she sings to, uh, and uh, like in the shower. And, and I hope this isn't embarrassing. <laughs> just in, just in, in general, and I hope this isn't embarrassing. But but it, this wasn't in the playlist. But she had mentioned uh, One Direction also, and uh, and so that led me to uh, bring up this. Uh, story from last year where Joey Fatone from InSync uh, wrote an open letter to One Direction titled uh, Everything is About to be Terrible. Did you ever hear that or I did that? not, no. Okay. Um, we're going to read that to you now before reading this next story, before getting into this next story, which plays into it rather ni- nicely. Um, Dear, and he names off the members of One Direction. Um, hey guys, it's Joey Fatone, former member of InSync and current announcer on Family Feud, the job I've always dreamed of. Uh, this weekend, while sitting on the toilet and crying, I left my life. Uh, I flipped through my iPhone and saw that you'd announced a one-year hiatus beginning in March. I just wanted to congratulate you guys and wish you well. I'm sure 2016 will be a wonderful time for everyone from One Direction to pursue some independent projects before regrouping as a stronger band one year later. Here's to spreading your wings. Ha 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 ha, psych! Here's how it's going to go down, fellas. While you're all on hiatus, Harry will record some dope singles with Beyonce, Ryan Adams, and Wiz Khalifa. Come out with a killer solo album produced by Pharrell and Timberland. Uh, cut his hair, dye his hair, do a second less awesome album, let his hair grow uh, uh, super long and wear it in two braids, crush a self-effacing cameo in a Judd Apatow movie, buzz his hair, release a third self-produced album on which he hints at being bisexual that everyone will call his <laughs> best work. <laughs> the rest of you are fucked. I mean, fucked. I am the second most successful former member of InSync, and I am Joey Fatone. Say that out loud to yourself. Besides Justin Timberlake, Joey Fatone is the second most uh, successful member of InSync. Here's me being a spokesman for Bosley Hair Restoration last year. We included a link to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, best case scenario you'll do a six week stint in Minions the musical on Broadway before you bounce around uh, different hosting jobs on channels like Spike and True TV do you know what Chris Kirkpatrick is doing because I don't he's completely unreachable he might be managing a Best Buy in Sacramento he might be dead no one knows Lewis I'm looking at you uh, there's one exception if one of you is gay you might have a shot Wait till One Direction has been dead for two years, kiss your hot boyfriend at an award show, then ride the, that relevance like a beautiful boner and pray to God you get a show on Bravo. It, that is epic. It's not like you guys aren't talented. It's that Harry is so, so much cuter, cooler, and more talented than the rest of you. Deep down, you've always known that. Uh, but you will never truly understand until you're in a grimy little condo, sitting in your boxers, sucking a chow mein noodle off your PlayStation controller, and watching Harry blow it up on SNL. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I wish I was still in NSYNC. Jesus. Jesus fuck. I would give all my hair to go back to that. Anyway, enjoy the next few months, One Direction, because they're your last. Wow. So that's the open wow. le- that's the open letter that he wrote last year uh, okay. when One Direction was uh, calling their hiatus. Flash forward 2016. Uh, what happened? Just over a year later. Did uh, all that come to pass? <laughs> <laughs> just over a year later. Here's our story. Harry Styles hopes to work with uh, Sia, Steven Tyler, and more on first solo album. 
so Harry Styles is doing the solo, right? He's ready to take the music world by storm when he embarks on his first solo album. Um, they, uh, let's see here. He wants to collaborate with huge names. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Steven Tyler, like I said, he wants to work with as many people as possible for his solo album. Uh, at the end of the day, the best uh, idea and the best song wins. And uh, for the songs he doesn't write himself, he would love to collaborate with powerhouses like Sia, Steven Tyler, and the guys from one, even the guys from One Direction. Oh, he's going to bring them in, huh? Um, yeah. So um, interesting. So that, yeah. So that's a that that's pretty much the story. Just from a few days ago, is that <laughs> Harry Styles is doing the solo album. He probably cut his hair and dyed it and all that. Did that too. This, uh, is, this is going to be an exciting career to, to pursue. I'm expecting uh, things to, you know, go down as written. Um, uh, so with what, third album, he, he comes out as gay, or what was it? I, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. right before, so that he uh, hints at being bisexual. I think that's a stab at Justin oh, Timberlake. Being bisexual, right? I guess Justin oh, Timberlake God. did that. I don't know. I don't keep up with that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a fun story to end on. Hilarious. That's funny. Uh, yeah, That's that funny. that letter is is brilliant. That letter's got some serious creative juices in it. Very truth, all truth, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's this episode of Concert Pipeline, Jens. Uh, it was a it was a fun one. I'd it was say. good. It was good. And let's uh, conclude by reminding everybody how to contact us or get a hold of us or you know like look at our stuff yeah uh twitter instagram and periscope are at concert pipeline facebook is facebook.com forward slash concert pipeline pod we put exclusive videos up there and uh and other fun stuff so you should check out the the facebook page like subscribe to the podcast on itunes give us a good review all that fun stuff um, we have a couple of really fun uh interviews on the horizons uh, as well in the next couple of weeks Foreigner is coming up uh, really soon. Um, I got a chance to check, uh, talk to Jeff Pilsen, Foreigner's bassist, and uh, so we're going to be bringing them on the, the podcast, uh, and we'll also have uh, Paul Nelson as well. Foreigner's playing at the uh, Marin County Fair, by the way, um, as well as um, one other show in the Bay Area um, the, the night before. So still time to see Foreigner if you want to get out there and do that. Um, we'll be covering that show for Concert Pipeline. Very good, very good, very good, very good. And that's right here in my backyard. It is. If I didn't go anywhere and just sat outside on the deck, I could, uh, I could review it. I could review it. I could like, I couldn't video it because no. I'm too far away. <laughs> too but far I could away. like, I could, yeah, I could view it yes. with fireworks at the end. Yes, yes, and do, and you'll be doing that for some of the shows, I imagine that uh, yeah. that'll be be hitting the Marine Fair. So that's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, first one's tonight, the Wallflowers. I am. Um, I'll be there for that. And uh, but I mean, uh, you have to tell everyone, of course, that you scored like thirty-seven tickets for rides, something like that. How many was it? Twenty-eight. I, I don't know. Ride tickets to the, when you get tickets to the the fair, the, it includes ride tickets, which is a cool way to do it because most fairs uh, don't do that. So pretty um, awesome. I'll so you can do the rides. Ferris wheel for hours. I will. I will absolutely do the Ferris wheel for you should hours. Should record the entire concert from the Ferris wheel. <laughs> That would be would be great. A great uh, rising view. That would be one camera angle, and then have the others uh, uh, placed uh, throughout the fair. Yes. Yeah, you get some great aerial shots and some great ground shots and some you know mid level shots. I'll get right on that. Sounds good, Steve. Another yes. great episode. Sounds good. So for concert pipeline, that's Jens Schiphol. Yeah.
And that is Mr. Stephen Jones. We will catch you next time. Later.